0: it's good to have everybody uh back once again today our topic is cover crop planting dates revisited and just as historically if you look at some of the cover crop planting dates for given regions they have been based on information that was available at the time and experience and I'll just say varieties or cultivars of cover crops. Now that the cover crop movement has matured or is maturing, some of those planting dates are no longer relevant. And a good thing I would like to say is more so than not, the planting dates are widened or typically a week or two or three maybe we might have a longer window in the fall, which is always one of the biggest challenges to getting cover crops planted. So I think this topic merits a discussion. Uh, and again, the reason behind me choosing this topic also has to do is to help us learn how to ask the right questions uh, when we're either buying seed or giving advice to people in the context of planting dates, because as the fall progresses, we have we ask, well, how late can I plant my uh, radishes, or my crimson clover, or my hairy vetch? And uh, this is what so and so says, but someone else said I planted it three weeks later than that, and it was fine. Now, just as a context for this whole uh, topic today, we all know that weather plays the biggest influential role in planting dates and uh, even the best of weatherman cannot predict exactly what will happen in a uh, six-week time after planting in the fall which is the most critical for most cover crops. So kind of stating the obvious but if we would know the weather for the next six weeks or any given six weeks in the fall that could actually really help determine our planning date or the optimal planning date. But that being said, there are several things that I'd like to go over of some of the effects that can influence planning date decisions. And I would also say on the outset here that planning dates are always arbitrary. They are for our cash crops, and we kind of know what maybe the average ideal date is for our cash crops, but we all know that that doesn't always work out. So in the same reason, same uh, fashion, looking at cover crops, planting dates, you have to take that into consideration. And I have to remind people of this constantly, and this kind of falls under what I say all the time. Treat your cover crops like your cash crops. Uh, it's, it's subject to weather and uh, that is something that uh, we all know but it's good to be reminded of so I have listed a few effects here that I think have influenced cover crop planting dates more so in the last we'll say 20 years or so um, and I'm going to go through I'm going to list them here now but I'm going to go over them uh each in little detail one of them is no-till uh, another is using mixed species one that you may not have thought about is is a higher biologically active soil can influence the uh, a planting date. And there's several factors around that. As we discussed last week, what is the winter hardiness of a cultivar? And what I what I mean by that is um, I'll just use the example of hairy vetch. I'm going to be using that frequently here today. But there are there are, literally there are dozens of of cultivars of hairy vetch. And they can range from being very winter hardy to being very uh, subject to uh, winter kill, uh, all things being equal. So when you say hairy vetch, you don't know what you're talking about until you know more specifically which cultivar, which selection that you're using. And then also with the finally are the advent of new cover crop cultivars. There actually are some that are coming out now. Winter hardiness. And planting date and all the association for that is definitely something uh, folks are looking at. I am myself, and I'm going to wind up the conversation today talking about what I'm doing with Harry Vetch. Uh, so there's definitely that issue is being addressed. So we can essentially widen our, our cover crop planting window. So I do want to go over a little bit of data here, maybe to, I guess, support uh, some of my premises here. Of, uh, of looking at our planting dates. And I want to start with, uh, radishes. And this is, uh, most of you are aware that I've been involved with the tillage radish. Um, I'm no longer in sales of that, but that has been my history. And planting dates has always been something, a question that's being asked because uh, radishes do winter kill when temperatures get into the mid teens. Or I could say a little more specifically, If the radishes have tubers that are one inch or more in diameter coming out of the ground, they might kill in the mid-20s. Whereas you may have a young radish that's just no tuber out of the ground. The the tuber might be very, very small. It takes maybe the low teens a couple nights to kill them. So uh, all these things have to be factored in when we're thinking about termination or planting dates in association with termination so just look at this chart here this was years ago when I was doing some research here and um, in a field where I looked at uh, a control where no radishes were planted a September 20th planting which is at the time this is back in 2010 uh, this is when I was really intensively doing a lot of research on this that the, that was kind of what we were saying about the third week of September, but in this case we pushed it to October the 9th just to see. And if you just look over on the right side, you can see that we still got a yield bump that paid for our seed with radishes that were very small. And I will tell you the leaves were probably only four or five inches tall and the tubers were, you couldn't see them. Um, if you dug them out, they might have been the size of a pencil. So very small indeed. And you might ask the question, well, how do you get a yield increase with such a little impact on the soil? And I don't have a, a clear answer to that, but in retrospect now and knowing what I know now, I'm just going to say that the biological effect, the effect of a brassica and what it does to soil uh, which we know, well know now, I, th- th- there's something occurred there because it's not that they took up a lot of nitrogen and released it. It's not that they had a penetrating taproot and opened up for compaction. But the point of it is, this isn't the only time this was done. I have seen this, uh, from other, uh, uh, places. And I will also say too that when you do late plantings, I'm just showing you one here just to keep it simple. But in, in this aspect here, not all of them will show responses, but some of them do. And my typical answer when someone would call me with a question, how late is too late, was I would give them my, my thought was, but then I would follow that up with saying, well, what risk are you willing to take? And it comes back to what I said earlier, we don't know what the weather's going to be over the next six weeks, eight weeks, or whatever and that can be have a strong influence on that so asking that question what what i mean you can look at the 10 15 day forecast which gives you a clue and if it's really nice and you think that crop can get germinated and get established enough well that that can be that can strongly influence your decision if you're essentially past the typical planning date um and again, it's not that hard to do your own research if you want to on your own farm. Just let out some strips and flag them off and yield monitor next year. Takes a little time, but then you can see if it actually made a difference or not. So that's just one example of uh of of uh, how that worked in in my situation, some things I looked at. And over the years I've done quite a bit of looking at the different uh, planting dates and so forth, and one of the one of the more complex things that I did was plant multiple species over different planting dates. Now, this slide here, I'm um, I'm not going to explain it. I'm actually going to focus on the right hand side. I'm going to bring that up here soon, but I want to give you the perspective here. Uh, this we had an August 18 planting of cover crops. Again, just a little background this would have been after wheat so we had plenty of time to plant so we had an August 18 planting in the middle one of September 5th and the the one on the right is October the 3rd if you look at the yields the following year of corn um, this was one of my better fields and if you see at the top there we only applied a total an annual total of 45 pounds of nitrogen. Now, the reason I did this was so we could see the effects of the cover crop. And, uh, the purple bars is triticale, the dark blue is cereal rye, the light blue is annual ryegrass, the the green is uh, radish, tillage radish, and the red is oats. What is interesting here with these lower rates of nitrogen, as you would expect, the triticale and cereal rye suffered in yields because they took up nitrogen at the beginning of the year and they typically don't give a lot of it back. So if I would have been managing those for, um, uh, you know, normal field conditions, I would have probably added another hundred pounds of nitrogen and we would have got the yields. So I just want to explain that a little bit to you, but let's look, let's look at the radishes, um, and how, how well they did in this uh, picture because radishes are known to be able to take up nutrients and, and hold them over till the next year. And sure enough, you can see it there. And, uh, oats to a certain extent too is able to release it back into the field in time for the cover crops, or excuse me, the cash crops use the following year. So I want to, uh, focus a little bit on that left, or that, excuse me, that right hand one, the, the October 3rd planting, which is coming up here. Because this is a later planting, particularly for the radishes and the oats, actually um it's 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 past the prime time as we would say now the red line there represents the control meaning no cover crop again only 45 pounds of N applied to this corn um so if you look at the radishes here planted october the third again it's on the late side you can see all see that it gave us a nice yield bump in this case it would have been um 14 bushel per acre. Now the tan bars, the narrower bars there in the center is actually the fall biomass. This fall biomass was taken on November the 20th, so approximately six weeks after planting and those numbers are in pounds per acre and it's very, very, very little. I mean, you look at the, you look across the bottom, you see the triticale, cereal rye, and your ryegrass oats, they're only 20 to 40 pounds per acre. I mean, all we're talking about is little spears, uh, two to three inches tall. And that does not add up to very much biomass. But you look at the radishes, how well they did in comparison. Even though it's small. Um, but you can see the difference, and, and I'll just, uh, just say that this is why I think the radishes do better than expected planted late is because they grow so fast I've seen data from other places that I had nothing to do with where I saw the same effect how and I would I would be willing to venture out and say that nothing grows faster in the month of October than a radish uh, and it doesn't really matter what size it is or when it was planted but just to give you uh, my experience and what it does. So I think we can fudge these radish dates a little later than we thought. And so I just want to kind of use that as an example uh, right there of how we how uh, you can do this. So now let's go and switch a little bit to the, the effects that I talked about in our planting dates. And the, the first one I want to talk about is the no-till effect. And I believe this is very influential because we all are well aware of how, in no-till conditions, the soil tends to be colder or cooler, I should say, in the spring, and that's typically thought of as a, a negative thing because it's hard to get our harder to get our crops out of the ground. On the flip side, on the in the fall, our Uh, no-till soils tend to stay warmer longer essentially because they're covered and undisturbed. Now, that's a good thing. So, we can plant our cover crops later and have good, nice emergence because the soil typically stays warmer. I have heard of farmers say that have switched to no-till that they're able to plant barley a week to 10 days later because of this effect the soil stays warmer longer and I could argue and I don't have the data for this but I would argue that even over the winter that this can be an effect that can be helpful and I'll never forget I had a group of visitors here from the country of Estonia and it was a morning where there was about 20 degrees it was in November late November and I to, as I typically do, taking my shovel and we were digging in our cover crop plots. And even though there was a frost and there was, it was slightly frozen, but we could easily push the shovel down in and turn the soil over. And I just kind of a, as a last minute, just spur of the moment decision, I walked over to my neighbor's conventionally tilled wheat. And you know, I could not get the shovel in the ground. Uh, and And that was to me, I was very, very impressed, but that's kind of what I'm talking about here, where the temperature can stay warmer in the fall, so that can potentially help us with a later planted cover crop. Um, the next thing I want to cover is the mixed species effect, and this is fairly easy to understand where you have. Um, cover crops that are susceptible to wind chill uh, temperatures or just even temperatures, where if they're protected from not only wind, but also potentially in some areas where another cover crop may have grown taller and it traps snow that keeps snow there and hence it keeps uh, the temperatures from being uh, as cold underneath that snow. So in this picture, I use this picture to illustrate that. This would have been sorghum sudan grass that died from the first freeze. This picture was taken in November. You can see the radishes are still okay. They've been dinged a little bit, they're wilted. The hairy vetch is just loving life. Um, it's nice and protected with a couple different species there. But this is just an example of what I'm talking about: the mixed species effect where you have some species that are more subject to winter kill and others that are not now of course it goes back to what we're trying to accomplish sometimes we want winter kill in this case i wanted the sorghum sedan to die uh, but it's still serving me well by protecting my hairy vetch in this in this instance here and it may allow my radishes to grow a little longer not really sure because they're mostly affected by the, the the temperatures but it could uh, so, this is just an example how when we do mixed species, uh, what the effect is the other thing i 'll say, and it's a little bit different angle to this is that when we 're getting late and when we 're pushing the planting window of a given species let 's just say crimson clover uh, crimson clover doesn 't tend to be quite as winter hardy, uh, I would say as a hairy vetch, uh, but if we have some crimson clover seed on hand instead of just planting um, instead of just planting straight crimson clover mix some vetch with it uh not only just to help it maybe survive but in case conditions are that the crimson clover is taken out with the cold weather you still have the vetch there as a legume so that's just a kind of an insurance policy if you will and you you can adjust your uh seeding rates uh accordingly the next thing i want to talk about is the what I'm going to call the increased biological effect. And I actually see that Don uh, posted here in the chat, uh, uh, how almost making my point here. And I'm just going to read what you you posted, Don, because I think it's very relevant here for this slide. Uh, Don said, the more consistent we can keep the soil temperature, the better the micro, microbiological microbiology like it and are more productive. Um not sure we completely understand the impact of this, uh, in improved biology and soil temperatures, but, uh, he just goes on to say it is beneficial to increase biology. So right on there, uh, Don, I appreciate that, uh, cause that's exactly what my point is here. And I, I can't explain this. I'm not a scientist. um, you know, I'm not a microbiologist. I just know as a farmer, there's something to be said about the biological effect. I have heard, and I have not really proven it myself, and I can't recall seeing data, but I would certainly believe it if you told me that the temperature is warmer in a higher biological soil. Now that's, if we're going to assign it to that specific effect, it's a little hard to tease out, because sometimes if you have mixed species, you won't know what actually is adding to that effect. Uh, But, I will just say I would, I would put my name behind that increased biological effect as a warmer temperature over the winter. And I'm saying that's a good thing to be able to potentially plant later than what we may have thought with, uh, with some species. So, um, it's just something that I, I cannot support this with data. Uh, maybe there's data out there, but, uh, I definitely think there's something to be said about that. Now the other thing that I uh talked about, spent the whole topic on last week was winter hardiness effect. But I'm gonna bring it up here again because it's relevant. And um this there's there's again a lot of the, the winter hardiness thing is a very complex topic. And if you didn't listen to last week's webinar, go listen to it to, to so you can understand it. Um but there, there's there's something associated with the cultivars, the species that we use but also um, understanding how uh just just how the dynamics work with certain seeds. Now this picture here was not staged. Uh this was actually December the 18th and no, it doesn't happen every year when you can do this, but this is uh something that I will credit Dwayne Beck from South Dakota where uh he calls this freeze seeding and when the conditions allow it uh where you can, the, the, the soil is essentially too wet or uh, I think the Pennsylvania Dutch term here would be smeary. Uh, you know what I'm talking about, sticky and you just can't plant. If you have an overnight temperature that is falls into a freezing range, that it's frozen just enough that it, it, it makes the surface dry, but it's not frozen too hard that you can't cut down through with your coulters. Now uh, This is where this can occur. Now, when you're doing stuff like this, okay, it's December the 18th, what would work on December the 18th? Well, immediately we would say uh, cereal rye. It probably would work, and it does. I'm telling you, it does. So if you didn't get your cover crops planted this fall, and it's in December, and you happen to get this event that that sets itself up for you, you can go out and plant cereal rye, and usually by corn planting, it'll be at least 12 inches tall. If you plant green, want to let it go a little bit longer, um it it will do that. So, uh it's just an idea out there. Uh the other thing to say too is there's other species that uh opening up a window for and one of them is hairy vetch. And um I am going to be talking about some more winter hardy vetches coming up here in my next uh uh point, but hairy vetch in general is a tough little seed. A lot of the species of hairy vetch would probably survive if you get them in here. Uh, if they wouldn't germinate. So you really don't want them to germinate at this time. You just want them to put them in the in the soil. Now peas, on the other hand, won't work. Peas are a bigger seed. They, they're just going to rot. I haven't got them to work. Um, I have planted cover crops every month of the year. Yes, even January. Uh, so I I have done this, um, and there's some years where there was no planting window from the 1st of December to the first of March that's just the way it is but when this happens when this occurs and when you have fields open it's something that you can do another thing that would work here I see Dan Towery just mentioned and he's right is annual ryegrass annual ryegrass planted uh, in in this window here of December would work it'll grow well in the spring and I've done that as well I planted annual ryegrass and I planted annual ryegrass in January never saw it till March and it was fine so these are some of the little things that you just kind of put in put on the shelf uh and when you need to pull them out you can you can do that so um it's 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 again it's kind of thinking out of the box but it certainly certainly is uh is possible to do it with the hardier type seed the seeds that are that are more hardy like the annual ryegrasses, uh cereal rye and and um hairy vetch, crimson clover, no, I haven't got that really to work, um, so anyway, just, just some examples there, so my final point today is new, the new cultivar effect, there are, crop, uh, there are cover crop, there are cover crops, there are selections of, of various cover crops that are being selected for increased winter hardiness, I know uh, uh, annual ryegrass is one, uh, crimson clover is another and, uh, hairy vetch is another and, uh, there's some triticales out there that I, I will, I will say are as, are as winter hardy as cereal rye. So we have options. We have options on other, uh, other cover crops out there to plant, potentially plant later than what we had previously thought. So as I mentioned before, I have, uh, been involved with, uh, hairy vetch. And I have grown hairy vetch since 1995. So uh, in that period of time, I have realized the, uh, I have intentionally, I should say, uh, tried to develop variety of hairy vetch that can be planted later. So this was last year, fall of 2016. We had uh, a nice December and I was able to make my last planting on December the 10th. And I'm going to show you some pictures here coming up of my other plantings. But every two weeks, I planted the hairy vetch. And just to see how things are coming along. Of course, every winter is different. And as we discussed last week, I'll just reference again, uh, depends on snowfall, depends on temperature, how cold it gets, depends on wind chill. A lot of factors go into this. And a lot of factors are going to influence something that's late, late planted. That being said, we're getting closer to developing what I'm calling a legume version of cereal rye. Uh, and what I have discovered is that the toughest time for uh, hairy vetch, and I think annual rye grass this would apply to as well, the toughest time is from October the 15th to November the 15th. Uh, or maybe we'll say December the 1st, and the reason is if you get, if you plant and you have a warm spell and it germinates a little bit uh, and then it gets cold and maybe you have multiple freeze-thaw cycles, that's the hardest situation to overcome. Um, if, if it gets cold and stays cold and your seed, these tough little seeds that we're talking about, this is what I gave an example of, They'll just sit there dormant until the spring when it warms up. But invariably, at least in my part of the country, and we'll say in the I-70 corridor, south of I-80 corridor, you know, you might get a nice warm week in November. And it's great. Things start growing, but then that growth then is unable to withstand the coldness of the winter. So that's the gap I see that we're trying to close. The middle of October... um, or I could just make it a little bit broader and I just say the October, November window of <clears throat> species that have not traditionally been able to be planted during that time. So, uh so if you, if you just think about all I've said so far, that's where my uh, efforts are right now, what I'm doing with, with particularly with hairy vetch. Uh, so it's just kind of one of my, I guess you'd say passions on the side. Of of trying to fulfill a need here, and there are others doing it as well. So the whole cover crop industry um, can can benefit, I think, and I think it's going to benefit from some new cultivars um, that are coming up here. So I see Aaron asked a question: Is that a result of the soil surface drying, or from the cold? Um, Aaron, could you be a little more specific there? I'm not quite sure what you're asking. So if you just want to clarify that a little bit. In the meantime, I'm showing you some pictures here taken on May the 20th. This in the spring on May the 20th. And if you look at each of the pictures, you can see the the planting date from October 12th, October 25th, November 9th, and November 23rd. So obviously, these pictures were taken May the 20th, we had survival. And I I there was definitely not 100% survival. I, I know that but we had survival. Now, that being said,, uh, and and where this was planted in my area, we had a, a relatively mild winter, and our coldest week of the winter was literally the first week of March. And, and and that actually I felt and observing this actually took out some of my cover crops that that cold snap because we had a previously we had a very warm week, and these these cover crops started waking up with some fresh growth. Then we had our coldest week of the winter. And um, down into the, the single numbers, actually, uh, which was rare for, for my area, just to give you perspective. So um, I think we're making progress here. Uh, but the other thing that was interesting to note is we were able to get over that hump, as I said, the toughest part in the latter part of October, beginning of November. Um, so. This is a picture here of my December 10th planting of hairy vetch. Picture was taken on May the 20th. Now, if I would have showed you what was planted on, I think the last week of September, it was already in bloom. It was already blooming. So it did delay the growth, the biomass. It did. I mean, you need to know that. And so the situation here would be, you would plant, if you could, you'd plant your later corn into this. Uh, you wouldn't, you wouldn't want to plant your first uh cash crops into this and and that there again that depends how each farmer set up and so forth so um, so yeah Aaron just clarifying here about the hairy vetch germinating and dying uh okay the, the the question now is what is the hard part about October 15th to December uh in in allowing that uh I'll just say hairy vetch in this case to to be able to survive you ask if it's a soil drying out. The answer is definitely not that, in my area anyway. Uh, not saying that never occurs. It's more has to do with germinating and then dying because of the cold weather that follows or the heaving of frost. And we talked about this last week, how heaving of frost, uh, the roots sometimes are not elastic enough to survive that with a seedling with just small root systems. So I guess in answer to your question, I would say it's, it's, it has to do with the cold weather and the stage of germination. It depends what happened previously and then what happens later. It's just how that's all, um, how that all kind of works out. So you have cereal rye, which is the benchmark, which is obviously can withstand anything almost uh, that's thrown at it. And because it has either elastic roots or it's just able to survive that. A lot of our species don't survive because they're just not able to uh, be able to handle uh, some of those conditions. So, so anyway, uh, getting back here to my hairy vetch, I just want to uh, wrap up here. And if you have any questions, I'm going to open up the microphones here soon, but um, we took this hairy vetch all the way into uh, June and and, and actually, by the time June came around, yes, it was essentially two weeks later than my others planted at the normal planting window. You would have you would have walked by there and said, "Well, that's a nice cover crop of vetch." Well, I have found out that vetch fills in nicely, and if you have a companion crop, and and here it's uh, actually triticale. You can see some of it in there. Uh, if you have a companion crop that allows the vetch to climb, you can use very low seeding rates, uh, especially if you're intending or you know that it's not going to be your first crop to plant. So that's just kind of an FYI right there. Vetch can really spread out. If Unless you're planting relatively early and you really want maximum biomass then, uh, you can really cut back your seeding rates at that point. So again, get your questions ready here. Um, I'm just gonna summarize here why I am saying that we need to relook at planting dates. The no-till effect is number one. It essentially keeps the soils warmer in the fall, allowing for, I'm gonna say a week or two additional growth compared to our old school uh, tillage days. Um, the effect of mixed species, having species protect one another is, is helpful in uh in, in sometimes with some species to a certain point and then they hire biological activity that occurs i can't explain all how that works but i know it works there's something to be said there also being able to understand the winter hardiness of the specific cultivar that we're buying uh be that annual ryegrass hairy vetch uh crimson clover triticale whatever it is you just you just have to go beyond just saying you want a certain species uh, if you're really concerned about this. And and again, this is setting us up to be able to ask the right questions. And also looking toward the future, there is new cover crop cultivars coming down the pike, being released. There's going to be more coming that's going to be able to, I think, be able to push our planning dates back, which essentially widens our planning window um, for for this here. So Okay, um, I'm going to unmute you all. Uh, while you're thinking of the first question here, next week I'm going to talk about understanding alleliopathy of cereal rye when planting corn. That's a, another topic that I feel needs to be addressed. I think there's a lot of misinformation about that. We need to understand what allelopathy is in order to manage it. So that's our, our topic for next week. So Okay, what questions do you have about planning date here uh, in our conversation that we had today? Don't hesitate. Speak up. Any questions? I, I, I just,
1: I'll just make some comments based, or to mm-hmm. kind of clarify what I've typed out, but I don't think, I think the whole, as we move into a, Highly functioning system with cover crop, and continuous no-till that we don't understand the benefit of that in a lot of ways. And I think as it's we're going to get a more consistent temperature in the soil. We're not going to get these big swings up and down. And I think I have, like you said I have no proof of this. This is just my gut feeling, but yeah. that we're going to see things work different in a lot of ways i think i think the soil is going to be different in the spring we're going to be able to plant earlier this whole idea mm-hmm. that it's going to be colder and wetter i'm not sure is mm-hmm. going to be the truth as we mm-hmm. develop a healthy mm-hmm. functioning system i think it's going to be warmer mm-hmm. i think because the microbiology has got to be producing heat yeah that's just my
0: personal opinion. no I, I think there's something there i'm with you i can't prove it i think there's something there um, i just one little quick little tidbit here uh when you have a question if you just say your name and and where you're from really basic where you're from that's always helpful
2: uh, to know so okay. who well, so else? this is aaron Hurd in lincoln nebraska mm-hmm. um i was wondering on your biomass clippings there in your first gra- graph or chart there with your different planning dates if was that above ground biomass? You said the yeah. radishes had slightly more yeah. biomass, and that was a little surprising. Yeah. Yes. It was. It was only above ground. Yep. Yeah.
0: In that case, it was only above ground biomass. If, if if underground biomass would be easy, we would have done that too. But that's very difficult to get a good number on because it's oh, you you know the drill. It's it's tough to do. But uh, in this case, it was only the above ground.
3: uh Steve this is Dan mm-hmm. uh, just to comment you know our our fall weather is a little bit unpredictable yeah yep. you know it we got things like moisture and it can be almost like summer or it could be almost like winter mm-hmm. uh, so temperatures up and down and and this is what's so perplexing about this topic because you know it's i feel like um like that late planted radish i'd love to see you know i'm assuming that moisture wasn't a limitation and you right. had uh, it, it would be were the temperatures warmer than normal mm-hmm. during that that period of time that's
0: a, that's uh, a very fair question all i know is
3: i've been I, i've been in northern iowa where the guy planted radishes october 10th and they didn't get two inches tall
0: Mm -hmm. sure yep no i and and that could occur here in my place some year and i i wanted to yeah i i totally agree uh i do know that that test that i that i showed you there was adequate moisture that i do know the temperatures it wasn't unusual enough for me to remember it i'll just say because i'm very conservative with my data so if it would have been unusual, I wouldn't have either used it or I would mention it because it would be irrelevant. So was, I, I'm assuming without knowing the data that the temperatures were fairly, fairly normal uh, that year. And, and I did it some other years, too. I just happened to use that actual data.
3: Um, oh, yeah. No, I, I know it it, yeah. it happens, but yep. it's just, you know, it's, it's – I'm always, you know, I like to give growers, yep. you know uh, – All the information and, you know, the eight, this is dependent on the weather cooperating.
0: Yep. Well, it's like I said at the very beginning, if if we would, if we would each, if we would know the six to eight week weather forecast or what it's going to be, I should say, uh, it would, we could really (laughs) fine tune our planning dates at that. But, you know, it's just like cash crops. You don't know yet. There's a certain element of risk. Um, I think what I'm saying overall here, is we can probably, with with the right cultivar, uh, with the right system, with no-till, with several of these things, I'm confident in saying we can push planting dates later than what we thought 30 years ago. And that's very simplistic, but I feel very confident making that statement.
3: Well, just a, a general comment. I mean, here in the Midwest, uh, basically the – Midwest Cover Crop Council. But I was involved in setting up those, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. planting windows. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've been refined somewhat, mm-hmm. but they're still pretty conservative. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, NRCS uses them. Mm-hmm. And just what you're feeling, or yep. do some of those need to be tweaked?
0: Well, whenever you're in education, uh, you, you always need to err on the conservative side, uh, I feel. So, uh, but if you have the time or the platform, maybe I'll say, to give these caveats, then the good managers can be able to utilize these caveats, I'll say. Uh, that's part of the point here why, why I did this topic. So when these things align is, is how you can determine Better determine the risk you're taking right. by pushing planting dates. So, right. because hey, uh, I mean there are there are years I've planted late and does it pay? No, it didn't. Uh, but I'm of the mindset I'm fully committed to cover cropping. I'm putting seeds in the ground. Um, so,
3: yep. Well, all I know is that uh, some of the little hobo instruments. Which measure temperature and ambient light? Uh, they're getting buried oh. uh, this fall.
0: Is that because the the cover crop's growing now? Well, yeah. The, I mean, I'm saying oh, is, oh, is literally, if, okay, uh, you're going to take soil temperature as well? Is that what you're saying?
3: Yeah, okay. record the soil temperature. You can you can awesome. you can you can yep. uh, set it up yep. to record it like you know every whatever you want every mm-hmm. five minutes every. Yep. 30 minutes, whatever. Yeah.
0: yeah. And, and I've seen the setup down there at Beltsville Agricultural Research Center right outside of Washington, D.C. They're actually doing that as well um, in their cover crop plots. I haven't seen their data. I saw their instruments. I saw how it's done. It was in the field. But I, I think we're coming together here. I'll just say in the years to come, we're going to get more data to, to know how to better manage some of this stuff.
2: Steve, this is yep. Aaron from Nebraska again. Yep. One, one other comment I had about your original, uh, planting trial graph. Mm-hmm. I'd noticed some of the, the yields on your subsequent corn crop were increased. Um, but some of them were even with mm-hmm. cereal grains mm-hmm. and your radishes. Mm-hmm. Um, a thought that I'm having or have been developing through time is, and it's just my gut is, mm-hmm. I'm wondering if we keep the soil biology alive further into the winter or close through the winter and it doesn't have to go into dormancy mm-hmm. into spores or, mm-hmm. or whatever it's going to dormancy into mm-hmm. um, if that then builds a symbiotic relationship quicker in the spring with that cash crop. Mm-hmm. And just wondered what your thoughts were on that.
0: I'm probably like you, I'm, I'm leaning that way without proof. I, I think that's why I always want to have something living over the winter um, you, you you brought up radishes the negative thing about radishes is they release nitrate nitrogen a little too soon typically and if we don't have a living grass or a living something there that can take that up we we could lose it after all not saying we always do but that's just maybe a little aside from what you're saying but from the biological standpoint my microbial standpoint Having something living in the soil at all times, I feel you can't argue against that. I just don't see any way how you can argue against that. How much it helps, I don't know, but it's definitely going to be on that side. So I, I agree with you theoretically. I think there's something there. Uh, we'll let the scientists figure that out, I guess. But as a farmer, hey, I'm, I'm there. I, I want some, I want, I understand nature enough to know. That nature will say was designed of something living in it as much as possible. And that's where I'm, that's, that's what I'm going to try to do. Any other questions on this topic? Then we'll open it up broader topic if you care. If you have other questions, any more on the topic of planning dates?
3: Uh, just one, just a little caution and Mm -hmm. caveat. Uh like your December planting the hairy vetch annual ryegrass mm-hmm. and I've done that and been very successful with it. I mean, we didn't didn't use the drill. Well I used to drill sometimes, sometimes it just broadcast and still you know, got pretty good stand. Mm-hmm. You do have that issue of if we get the warm up mm-hmm. in January, February mm-hmm. enough that it actually causes the seed to germinate mm-hmm. and then you know, typically that doesn't yeah. last very long. Yeah. But, uh, so it does leave the, the, that is, that is haven't had it happen to me, but it, it, it is, uh, again, just another, yeah. another piece of the puzzle.
0: It's understanding the risk and it could happen. I agree. But, but I would say, you know, look at cereal rye. I, I don't, I mean, I, I can't think of a failure of cereal rye. Uh, that, that was assigned to when it was planted. Uh, I don't know. There probably is some out there, but I, I guess I'm thinking. No, but it's, it's,
3: yeah. it's, 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 I, I call it, it's, 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 it almost insensitive to cold. I mean, it's, <laughs>
0: yeah. 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 So, you know, can we develop some of our other species to that grade of a tolerance? I don't know what's possible, but let's try and. You know, I think as we keep going, we'll select the, or through breeding or whatever. I think it's going to get better how good none of us know at this point. Yeah, one more time. Any more questions on our planning date discussion? Okay, is there any cover crop question at all? Um, anything at all about cover crops that's been on your mind this week or you, you wanted to ask? Anyone? Well, okay. Well, I'll
3: just throw nope. it out. Just, just, <laughs> it's, it's, it's it's since it's wide open, it was. Uh, I've been asked my opinion, mm-hmm. and and so I, I, you know, I told them it would be strictly be opinion, mm-hmm. but it's in regards to um, no till acres, and, and I guess, and I would throw it in with cover crop acres, mm-hmm. you know, or but especially on the no-till part, are the acres increasing? Mm. And I know it's, it's very geographical and uh, lots of issues, uh, out there, but, but, uh, um, I'm just curious of, of any, any feedback and folks that they could, you know, just identify their area and mm-hmm. just which way, which way is the wind blowing? Yeah.
0: Uh, Cliff, if you're still on, you're from Illinois, what what would be your response to that question or or anybody else? Charles down in North Carolina, more no-till, less no-till, the same, cover crops. What do you see as you drive down the road in your area? Anyone
2: want to weigh in? We're seeing in Nebraska the no-till still increasing. Uh Uh-huh.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah, I'd say in North Carolina as well, um, more no-till and more cover crops.
3: Uh-huh. Anyone else? And and just a question, question on that, because uh, I've heard some pushback that some of the issue with uh, some of the roundup resistant weeds is actually causing more tillage.
0: Hmm. Well, I've heard that, and, um, you know, there's always going to be a few who are you know, they face, face some challenges that they, you know, they gotta do something. So they, we could say resort back right. to old familiar practices or whatever. I would argue yep. that yep. the cover crops have a fairly significant influence, I think, on resistant weed management. And I, um, you know, I can't, I can't make, you know, guarantees and promises, but that's certainly we know there's, there's definitely weed suppressing, uh, abilities, especially with using cereal rye to control mare's tail and soybeans. That's, that's becoming more widely well known and it's not just one area that's working. So, yeah. But I guess Dan. No, I, 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 I agree. Yeah. I guess from my expect, my perspective, your question in, in my, my world, if you will, I mean, locally here, uh i would say that no till and cover crops are they're not increasing as fast as they did 5 years ago but still increasing uh is how i would say it now it's now we're getting into the some of there there's been some fairly larger influential operators in the area here that are that are starting to really embrace cover crops people who i 5 years ago i would have said i mean they would say no way um so, I I still see it's it's very positive um and also I I think from my travels uh, I was just in France a couple uh I guess 6 weeks ago definitely um increasing it's not fast but increasing and uh yeah some of the the connections I have around the world I think it's, it's similar it's 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 in a, in a good way I think a healthy way slowly increasing I think a lot of places the early innovators have embraced it and they get it, and now it's more the the teaching and education to help the um, the rest of the the bulk of the of the farmers to learn how to effectively do it.
3: I I, I concur, and but one of the issue is this is you know three dollar corn mm-hmm. and. Um, I'm hearing pushback that mm-hmm. you know I'm losing money and i gotta you know I can't afford you know I can't afford to plant cover crops yep. or some will say I can't afford not to plant cover crops
0: right and and the ones that have been doing it a while are the ones that are saying the second thing They're, they can't afford not to, and yes exactly my, my answer to three dollar corn you're gonna have, i mean okay, I'll say we. Collectively need to step back and evaluate the whole system. And I know this opens up a whole nother big topics, uh, but, uh, (laughs) we could talk about it later, but there's hope out there. There are systems that can work, but I seriously question, and it's again, you guys know where I'm, where I live. It's easy for me to talk, but. The corn-soybean paradigm needs to be relooked at from a governmental perspective all the way down to the farm. Uh, I I just I'll just say that for now. We could talk about this all afternoon, <laughs> but I guess that's where I'm thinking. There, there, and, and some of these changes will be forced either potentially through some regulation or incentivization or simply if you don't figure it out, you're going to get lost. So I don't know. That's my comment. I, I hear Dan chuckling. I'm sure he has an opinion. <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs> well, yeah. And it, it's, it's going to get, it's going to be interesting. Yeah. Uh, let's just say that it's, uh, but yeah, I yeah. think the, the old paradigm, yeah. it, it, it may be changing.
0: Well, I, 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 I you know, just 2 or 3 years ago i wouldn't have dared to even mention it but i am seeing enough farmers in the corn belt who are making some very significant changes in the way they farm that goes against what said what was said could never be done and you know time will tell you can't just say because someone you know, change their system one year and it worked, that that's going to work because I, I, I see a lot of cheerleaders out there that they're dancing up and down about all this newfound strategy they have to do whatever it is. Uh, and I don't want to mention anything because you're going to assign names to it, but I'm just saying, you know, let's see someone that's doing it for five years and then we can talk. But that being said, there, I, I think I would say there'll be more than corn and soybeans planted in what we call the corn belt. In ten to twenty years from now, I, I will make that prediction right now. Um, yeah, so
3: I'm I'm writing that down. So <laughs> okay,
0: you. please do.
3: Well, and, da- and, and dating it. Okay. <laughs> so if, if if we're both around in twenty years, <laughs> <Yeah>. we'll
0: <laughs> we'll review that. Now, who? Someone else is making a comment. Well, I'll,
1: I'll comment. This is Don Indiana again. Yeah. I'll comment on that. Dan, uh, our saltwater meeting in Vermillion County last week. I had a farmer who farms the black prairie soils of Remedian County highly considering going to wheat in his rotation. Wow. So if you'd have told me that, yep. where they can grow yep. 250 bushel of corn without even falling over backwards.
3: Yep. Uh. Well, yeah. That's
0: it's what I'm talking about. And, it's, yep.
3: and especially with the price of wheat, we know it's,
0: yeah, well, you're not
3: going to make money on wheat. But They no. also shelled
1: 287 bushel of corn off of some of that. No-till cover crops with hog manure. And, and the, the pure no-till next door was 60 bushel less. Wow. So we're finding out that even mm-hmm. on the black prairie soils, mm-hmm. that we can improve them with a soil health system.
0: Yep.
3: Well, Absolutely. A farmer yep. I'm working with in Illinois, he, he took out a, a quail habitat ah. CRP mm-hmm. and had two strips opposite ends of the field. Uh Two hundred and forty bushel corn. So mm-hmm. forty bushel more than, okay. you know, ten years, no, no fertilizer yeah. applied, no, oh. you know, and it, it's just, it's the biology.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we'll have to have a topic about this someday. <laughs> no, I that's I agree with. Let's well, have more that. than an hour. Mm-hmm.
3: So. Did you finish? Just, your thought
0: there, no. Don?
1: well if we have that topic we'll have to have more than an hour
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's for sure so okay any any other any other cover crop question at all well thanks for the good discussion here at the end i appreciate uh you guys um uh, listening in today and your lively questions always appreciate that so Hey, until next week, have a a good, safe harvest, and uh, we look forward to checking in with you soon. Thanks.